We have Kate Taylor from One Love Cellars in the studio today. Hey, Kate. Hi, Heidi. Thanks so much for coming and joining us. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to make the trek up north here. Well, I am glad you think so. (laughs) Some people it's a little bit a tough uh, talk into, so I appreciate it. So I want to get into you and your mom's story because you are a dynamic duo um, out on the the cellar, the slash vineyard, winery, farm extravaganza (laughs) out there. Um, But you guys started not in Oregon. Correct. And you did not start by fermenting grapes. Correct. You started with these raspberry bombs and everything else. And I want you to I want you to start there because you've had quite a traveling past. Indeed. So um, we have kind of a d- divided past uh, between Michigan and Montana. Um, we can circle back a little bit about our our logo and a little bit of symbolism there. Um, but indeed, it did start in fermenting raspberries. So my folks had um, a small property on the western shore of Michigan and eight acres of 14, I think, different kinds of raspberries and black raspberries. I didn't know that there were so many different kinds. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> Learn something new every day. So one year we had um, just a bumper crop of berries. My mom had made as many preserves, frozen them back. We were giving them away to neighbors and people were like, please, no more berries, please. And uh, so my dad called up a friend of ours in Northwest Montana um, said, Kenny, what are we supposed to do with this fruit? And he said, well, Kevin, you know what you're supposed to do with fruit, especially if it's kind of turning a little bit, is ferment it. And this light went off in my dad's head, just exploded. Um, with his background in uh, biochemistry, fermentation was pretty close to his heart. And so uh, we we fermented them. Um, had a little How bit was of, it? Um Admittedly, to begin with, we were a little bit unsure, not having much background in wine or winemaking at all. It was literally just something weird and fun to try. It was a neighbor's friends from Sonoma that came up and we shared this bottle around a campfire and they very much encouraged um, this project to be taken more seriously and they really enjoyed it and um, it prompted us to move further west. So how long have you been in Oregon then? We moved here the very end of 2010. Um, My dad and I went back to school together through the Chemeketa Community College program um, 2011 and 2012, and we planted our first block of grapes in 2013. You and I bonded over building fence. Yes. And the torture of building torturous fences. Torturous building of fences. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you guys have quite the property out there. We have 65 acres total. 
Um, we had intended to fence that entire property initially. Uh, as we got into this project, we saw that there were elk and deer that uh, moved through the property. There's literally an elk highway back there. Um, they'd been present much longer than we ever even had thought about moving out that way. So we wanted to maintain um, you know, their migratory pathway. Um, thankfully, that uh, shortened, made our, our fencing project just a little bit smaller, but it still took us an entire year to build this fence, take down the old fence line, clear it, and put up this game fence. Um, so it was actually during this building of the fence that different epiphanies had happened and uh, also a little bit about you know how, how our name came to be further down the line. Tell me why. Why the name? Why the epiphany? What is this one love thing? So during this year that we're building the fence, um, my dad and I are going concurrently through the Schmeckata Wine Program. Um, everybody was saying, you know, it can't be done. It can't be done. It's so much work. Uh, and, you know, my dad was not um, – he was not – a very dramatic person, but we're starting to get a little bit silly as we get further and further into this fencing project. So as we're, you know, the last thousand feet of this fence line, very dramatically, my dad would throw his hand to his head and look to the sky, not dramatic person, but very dramatically. And this mantra just kept coming back. You have to love what you're doing. Um, and so, you know, several years later, as we're developing the business, what better name than One Love to to make that happen? It's a great place to stop, and it's a great way to really kind of lead us into what is going to be our conversation about wine and further into your story. So hold on right there, and we'll be right back. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We left off talking about how One Love Sellers came about, and you are in a different area. We have not had anybody from the Salem area. You're actually in Turner, which makes it a little bit different. It is a little bit different. We're actually even just a little bit further removed from Turner. We're in this little itty bitty burg of Marion that used to have a zip code and now it or mailing address and now it doesn't. And so we're halfway between Jefferson and Turner, but our mailing address is Turner. Uh, so we're the same exit as the Enchanted Forest, just a little bit south of Salem. Um, just a nice, uh, very short scenic drive through some hills. Um, other agricultural areas until you get to the top of Marion Hill where we are located. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. And I was going to save it and talk about it at the end, but we're there. So you have got to talk about this incredible barn that you guys have that yes. is the most colorful thing in wine country, a thousand percent. So in developing the business, learning more about the business side of things, I kept hearing that you have to have something Insta-worthy. So something different um, that we could showcase ourselves and draw folks out uh, to our location. Um, I had this over 100-year-old barn. The facade on it was starting to crumble just a little, and so why not paint it? So um, I had been searching out this artist. Um, we connected and became friends. She came out with her partner this summer uh, from Omaha, Nebraska. Her name is Norm Faeva, and she painted up our barn. It's a beautiful lady up on there. Um, 
very high-end graffiti spray paint art. She painted the whole thing in six days. I'm amazed. I can't wait to have her come out. And we together actually are going to collaborate on the final touches. It was stunning. When I drove up, I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, this is in the middle of nowhere. And there's this graffiti art barn on this vineyard. So uh, kudos and congrats. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. So let's go back to the wine because we bypassed the wine and went to the barn. (laughs) We need to go back to the wine. So we started drinking bubbles right off the bat. And I went home with a case of bubbles the day that I was um, out to see you. So let's start with what you are showcasing today and really what you're doing up there. Sure. So today I brought um, some of our 2017 Big Heart Bubbles. It is 70% Pinot Noir and 30% Chardonnay made in the traditional method. Um, So that is something different as a small producer that we are doing and trying. Uh, I also brought an Albarino. So that is a Spanish-Portuguese white variety um, that we are growing right at our estate. So we used to be one of three locations. We're now um, one of four locations. A a friend of ours planted a little bit after seeing how well it did at our place, uh, which is wonderful. That's the whole idea of the Oregon wine industry is collaboration and, you know, helping each other um, with those things that you find to be successful, um, which is great. I brought a white Pinot Noir and I also have our Traditional Pinot Noir 2015 is our very first vintage that we produced from the home vineyard. It's uh, It was quite the lineup when I went up there because, I mean, you have this mega barn when you drive in and then you're The taste- showstopper. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> and then you walk into this, what looks like this understated tasting room with this beautiful wraparound porch that looks over this elk infested is not the right word, but this elk peppered sanctuary. Thank you. <laughs> nice adjectives. Um, and it's just cool. And then when you walk in, you have all these racks of wine. And it's not just these four wines that you brought today. It's a lot of different things. Correct. So initially, we were hyper-focused on Pinot Noir because we are in Pinot country. We are going through the Chemeketa program. We're like, oh, we're going to make all the different kinds of Pinot. Um, then we had to kind of dial it back a little bit as um, you know we were starting to take things to market. We didn't want to be a one-trick pony, so we did uh, develop a red blend. So I have a long-standing contract now with a uh, producer, a vineyard, family-owned vineyard, small producer in uh, Washington. Um, so we're consistently getting this red blend from uh, the Horse Heaven Hills, uh, and then you know some really nice aromatic whites. Uh, you know, kind of cool climate. Um, of course, the bubbles that we're doing and uh, the Albarino has really been very popular as well. I want to talk a little bit more about the whites, but I want to just stop right there for just a moment. And then we're going to pause and come right back. You got it. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at PRP.fm. We're back with Kate from One Love Cellars, and I totally cut her off when we were starting to talk about the white wines. So I want you to go back to the white wines and tell us about how amazing they are. Sure. So uh, aside from the Pinot Noir, we grow several different types of aromatic, cool climate whites. So I have a little bit of Viognier, a little bit of Gewürztraminer. The Albarino, of course, uh, we diversified our wine lineup in 2018 to make a white Pinot Noir, which is pretty fun. Um, I also have a dry uh, Gewürztraminer that we have available at the moment. 
So just, you know, fun, different things. Um, a nice uh, white blend. It's about 50-50 Pinot Gris and late harvest Riesling with maybe 100 pounds of Viognier and 100 pounds of Gewürztraminer, fermented to total dryness. And then we back sweetened it just a little bit for, um, you know, mouthfeel and that sort of thing. We call it Wild Hearts, you know, keeping in theme with One Love and the heart on our label. I think that actually besides the bubbles is the bottle I took home that day. Indeed. Yes. yes. It was it was <laughs> it was dandy. Um you are not in the heart of the Willamette Valley. When I think of it, you're kind of on the south side Correct. in a different AVA. Correct. So we're still in the Willamette Valley designated AVA. Um I have heard rumblings that perhaps some of the other wineries close by, there may be a new AVA working to be popped up, um, something to the effect of the South Salem Hills. Um, anyway, that is not uh, uh, for reals thing yet, um, but we are indeed on the very last South Salem slope, hillside, um, dried lava flow. Uh, it is all volcanic soil, you know, weathered basalt, um, Jory Nakaya. Um, you know, if you're into soils and that kind of thing. So I think that does lend to our wines as far as being juicy, definitely very fruitful. You know, all of our wines we make uh, truly in the vineyard. My heart and soul, first and foremost, is in the vineyard and making sure that all of those grapes are just perfect for the picking. And then we go for there. Well, I don't even know what to say other than people <laughs> probably need to just come see you. Absolutely. And experience the whole shebang. So tell us about the tasting room. How do we find you? And then let's definitely make sure that we hit the social media aspects of it as well, because you have events and you have events constantly kind of popping here and there. Yes, ma'am. So I'm going to let you do that. So we are on Facebook and Instagram. Um, last summer, we launched our website. Um, so that is pretty inclusive. Uh, we try to post as many of our events and pop-ups on there as possible. OneLoveSellers.com, OneLoveSellers on Facebook and Instagram. We're currently working through the permitting to get the official documents to have our tasting room open uh, 100%. And um, we're looking forward to doing that and going public in 2020. Well, isn't that exciting? Yes. Indeed. I didn't even know that. <laughs> and you and I talk quite a bit. Well, got to keep some things close to the heart so that we have lots Shame of things to you. pop up. <laughs> well, I know your vineyard and your tasting room are jog friendly. Yes, ma'am. Including your dogs if they're being good. Yes. It sounds like. They, they have to have their zoomies out so that they can be well-behaved. Uh, you know, around other people. So people and animals. <laughs> and animals, yeah. And so tell us what else about your tasting room, because it is a big deal when you have a tasting room that is dog-friendly and also child-friendly. Correct. So we are family-friendly. We are dog-friendly. Uh, the whole property is fenced. So, um, you know, you don't have to worry about your your critters running off. Uh, we also encourage folks to bring bring a picnic, come hang out. Um, it's truly, truly a magical piece of property that, you know, this is really why why we got into this. It wasn't to make wine and get rich. It was to make wine that people wanted to gather together and start a conversation and just enjoy themselves. You know, I, I truly feel that we can maybe change the world, maybe not one glass at a time, but certainly if we can break down those barriers and get people to just converse with each other, then, you know, we can make some big changes. I think that is a great way to end it. 
and say thank you and what a beautiful note to end on. Well, thank you. Thanks, Kate. After the break, we'll meet our next guest, Dan Warnsice from Utopia Vineyard. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Let's meet our next guest today, Dan Warnsice from Utopia Vineyard. I did it. I've been practicing your name for almost a week now, and I got it. You were perfect. Yes, I like it. You and I have known each other for quite a while. I've done a couple events up there. We've drank wine. We've chatted. I see you every – I swear I see you all the time in that white pickup. (laughs) Yeah, it's my trademark farm pickup. Oh, boy. Yeah. So you have quite the story. Like Kate, we didn't know that you guys were both from Michigan State. So Go green. Go green. I'm like, I'm not sure what the mascot is, but go Michigan. Sparty. Sparty. Okay, go Sparty. So, But you've got quite a story. So I'm going to let you just take it away and do what you want with it. Well, thanks. First, let me just say it's a pleasure to be here with you today. And yeah, I've been in the wine business for a while. I started as a collector, frankly. I worked in the tech world, but only for 30 plus years. And small, <laughs> small period of time. Yeah. But uh, during that time, um, I started collecting wines because I was enamored with wine, um, especially good wine. And over the years, that led me into uh, a wine business in Napa, California. I was an early pioneer in the internet wine business and had an import-export uh, wine company in Napa. And that is how I got uh, to know a lot of the local winemakers and some of the up-and-coming young stars in the Napa area. And they became my friends. And then I started to partner with some of them and do some custom crush work there. Um, In the long run, I wanted to have my own label and do estate wines. And that's what led me to the Willamette Valley. I think you told me that your wine collection was in your laundry room. Something was in your laundry room. (laughs) Well, it was formerly a laundry room. Got it. I I converted it after my first epiphany with a first growth Bordeaux in my 20s. And that's what sent me back to my house to convert my laundry room into a wine cellar. Did you take the washer and dryer out? Yeah, we did. (laughs) So was that a laundromat type thing from there on out? (laughs) Let's just say it was a much better wine cellar than it ever was a laundry room. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Okay. So with you being in California, you made your way to Oregon, which seems like a lot of people do. It's usually a love for Pinot that brings them north, south, east, or west. You tell me why. Yeah, it was a love for Pinot, but it was also a love for the valley. And just the raw beauty of Willamette Valley really blew me away when I first visited Oregon wine country. And I knew in my very first visit that it was someplace that I would like to be someday and to be part of the then burgeoning Pinot Noir business. When did you actually move up here? Because you did some traveling and you did some scoping around, but then you actually chose a place. Yes, I did. You, you chose a lower place. I did my homework. You did. So why, why were you at? So um, we're in the Ribbon Ridge American Viticultural Area, but in 2000, when I bought that property, it was not yet an American Viticultural Area. 
Uh, but I was aware of it and had looked at a number of the um, what are referred to as the sub-AVAs in Willamette Valley. And I was really attracted to Ribbon Ridge because the soil types are different there. It's marine sedimentary. It's low fertility. It's great drainage. And um, it's the tiniest of all the sub-AVAs. I think of Willamette Valley, especially northern Willamette Valley, as the heart of America's Burgundy. And to me, Ribbon Ridge is the jewel in that crown. So I was really excited to find a property there. And I literally knocked on the owner's door because it wasn't on the market. And it was a horse pasture. And he was happy to sell it to me that day. Um, and that's how I ended up calling it Utopia. I love that because you told me that you had bought the place below. That really wasn't where you wanted to be. You really had your eyes set on the horse pasture above. Yeah. Well, I actually didn't buy the place below, but I went there to look at it. And oh. that's how I discovered Utopia. Got it. Well, let's just hit the stop button right there. And we're going to start talking about some wine in just a moment. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. You just taught me something that I need to share with the world and the fact that if you say cheers, you have to drink or it's bad luck. Correct. So why have I not ever heard that before? Well, you're not talking to the right people, apparently. Okay, well, from here on out, people, if you say cheers, you better have something to drink. Seven years, bad luck. Do not set the glass down until you take a sip. Okay, words to live by. I got it. Will never happen again. Most people don't have a problem with that. No, I, I don't seem to have that problem, <laughs> but now I know for sure that I definitely must drink something. So, okay, well, let's talk about some wine. You bought a, brought a really nice few bottles in with us. You have a very definitive and direct insightfulness to your wines. Like you just have this, I don't know, just talk. Well, talk about the wine. Thank you for that. Yes, and, yes. Um, yeah, I brought a couple wines that are one which is my most recent wine, my newest wine, which is a white Pinot Noir from the 2017 Vintage. And that was my first foray into that particular um, style of Pinot Noir. I love Pinot Noir, obviously. It's why we're here. Um, and it's so versatile. You can make red wine, you can make rosé wine, you can make white wine from it. And that's one of the things that I love so much about it. And it's all good. So um, when I did the white Pinot in 2017, I did a lot of research on it. We have about three-fourths of our vineyard is planted in Pinot. So I had fruit available to do that from the estate. And I went around the valley, I collected all the white Pinots I could find and tasted them, did the research and developed a style um, that's about 10% Chardonnay uh, blended with the Pinot grapes, but I do it in the press. So I lay the Chardonnay grapes on top and then we press everything together and then it co-ferments and it gives me this very integrated wine as a finished product. Um, and then that little bit of Chardonnay adds such a nice richness and roundness to the wine that allows me to do a full uh, malolactic fermentation on the wine and add just a tiny amount of new French oak into the final blend that gives it this lovely, toasty, vanilla, creamy, lovely stone fruit and melon, all these things just going crazy in your mouth. And it just disappears across your palate and lingers forever. Oh, my God. I don't. You need to write a book. <laughs> you seriously need to write a book or poetry or that was just very poetic and beautiful. Um, 
Wow. Okay. Go to the next one. Yeah. Because that one was great. So, so that is the white Pinot. And then I brought with me a reserve bottling of Pinot Noir. I call it Utopia Paradise. It's, so, de- it's absolutely delicious. I obviously wasn't aiming for the middle with a name like that. Well, you shouldn't. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And why would I? Yes. These are state wines. Our grapes are all organically grown. So I want to make sure that that is um, understood. Um, we do things the right way, by hand, to perfection, everything in the vineyard. And any winemaker worth his salt is going to tell you it all starts in the vineyard. Good fruit makes good wine, and the best fruit makes the best wine. Um, the Paradise was my first reserve bottling, and I first made it in 2009 when my original 2002 planting reached its seventh year, or in the vineyard we say seventh leaf. And that's when vines start to be really mature and you expect to get additional complexity in the finished wine. And that's what happened. I had two lots that were a grade to a grade and a half better than my other lots. And so I took a barrel select of those and made my first paradise. And so what do you think? Well, the first Did it live it up to it? I think it does. I think it's more important what you think than what oh, I, I think. I think it's amazing. Of course, I love it. But um, yeah, the first time I made it, it was on Oregon's 50 Best Wines list. So I thought that was a, a pretty good start. I can't say that that's probably a bad start at all, especially right. for your first paradise utopia, Pinot Noir. Yeah. And I would just say it's now a blend of my three best lots of Barrel Select. And it's also 100% whole cluster fermented now, as are all my reserve wines. That's... Yeah. And I, you know, there's something about estate wines that just has this extra level of romance and complexity and love and attention that seem to go into a bottle. Yeah. I think, you know, going back to the best fruit makes the best wine, it's really hard to make good wine from low quality fruit. And we don't like to add anything. In winemaking, we call those co-adjuncts. And I always say, I don't like to add any junk to my wine. So I like the good, clean fruit. Perfect. I want to talk a little bit more wine when we come back in just a moment. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We, in fact, I stopped you in the middle of talking about your wine. So I want you to start back up where I cut you off and we'll finish up with talking about the AVA because it is a very small, really cool, tight-knit AVA in the heart of the valley. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I will come back to that, but I love talking about my wine. So um, we do make several other Pinot Noirs. So um, I make an estate uh, cuvee. That's a blend of all 12 different clones that I grow there, all organically grown, all estate fruit. Um, And that was my first Pinot Noir, uh, was a blend of everything. And over time, I parsed out, as I identified where the core of the quality was coming from the vineyard, I parsed out up to three reserves now. And that process took me 10 years. Wow. So I make the uh, estate, which is a blend of everything, and is mostly destemmed fruit. And then I make the Paradise, which we already talked about, but then I also make a single clonal bottling of Dijon 777, which is also 100% whole cluster fermented. And then my newest one, which I started in 14, is called Eden. And Eden is my vision of Power Pinot. And it's 100% Pomard, my favorite clone. And it's 100% whole cluster, and it's 100% new French oak. And I make only two barrels of that wine, and I only make it in certain vintages. And um, It sounds hearty. Yeah, it's um, it's Power Pinot, and 
It's just something that I wanted to do to make a point that Pinot Noir can, it can be um, powerful like other um, red wines, but it still has that silkiness and velvety texture of Pinot Noir, which I love. That's awesome. I'm going to have to try that one of these days next time I'm up there. I'm going to ask you for the power Pinot next time I come in. You can try it. Um, And then, you know, most people, when they come and visit the Valley, they already know about the Pinot Noir and that's why they're coming. But we make some amazing white wines here too. And I think that that really blows people away because they're not so much expecting it with the white wines. And Chardonnay has really, I mean, traditionally Pinot Gris, which is awesome, has been the the leading white wine in Willamette Valley. Now we have Chardonnay and we have the Dijon clone, same as the Pinot Noir. And the quality of our Chardonnays are recognized now to be world-class. And that's really blowing people away. I love Oregon, Willamette Valley, Chardonnay. It's some of the best in the world. And I would definitely argue that it rivals any of the um, really, you know, Grand Cru or Premier Cru class wines in Burgundy. And we can do everything they can do here. And we're not cutting any corners. So loving those wines. I totally agree. I am a huge fan of Oregon Chardonnay. And I never thought I would have ever said that out loud. Right. And a lot of of, uh, people talk about Burgundian style. I, I coined the term Oregundian. Oh, look at you go. All kinds of things to uh, coin today with, <laughs> and we've learned. I want you to definitely highlight Ribbon Ridge and also your gorgeous tasting room because it has a stunning view and you have bocce ball. Yes, we do. Well, we have fun and games. In addition to great wines, we have fun and games. We, we have bocce ball. We have cornhole. We have shuffleboard for the indoor um, months. So we're always looking to make a relaxed, comfortable environment. We're family friendly. We're dog friendly. My two Springer Spaniels, Duke and Duchess, will come out and greet you when you arrive in the parking lot. And um, it's almost more about the dogs than it is about the wine sometimes. So many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we just, you know, there's there's can be a bit of pretentiousness in wine. And I like to do away with that as much as possible. So we try to make a relaxed, comfortable environment. I'm usually in the taste room every day, but I got to give a shout out to my daughter, Erin. She's awesome. Yep. She's running it and um, doing all the social media and e-marketing and all the good stuff that gets our brand out there. So when you come in, you're going to meet me. You're going to meet Aaron. And if you want to know anything about our wines, obviously, we're the experts. And we can tell you about viticulture or winemaking or anything from the vine to the wine. But if you just want to come and hang out and have a glass of wine and picnic and uh, bring your dog or your kids and play bocce ball or any of the lawn games, then that's what we want you to do. I am such a huge fan of places like that because wine was such a pretentious thing for me. And I just applaud you for having such a beautiful location for families and people to come. Thank you. And um, this year, um, we have opened our own winery. So um, in the past, I've been making my wine in a custom crush facility or alternating proprietorship. And now we have our own new winery. So we're excited to share that with people as well. 2020 is a big year. And thank you, Dan, so much for coming and helping me out. And I will be back up soon. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you for joining us for the premiere of Wine Crush Season 3. Have a great weekend, and we will see you at the bottom of the glass.